Discover FX's Shogun, the official podcast available now. Every legend begins with a story. Listen and explore episode by episode the story of war, passion, and power set in feudal Japan. Join host Emily Yoshida each week with the creators, cast, and crew in this exclusive companion podcast. They dive deep into the twists and turns of the plot, go behind the scenes, and explore the real-life history that informed the limited series based on James Clavell's best-selling novel. Search FX's Shogun wherever you listen to podcasts. This episode of Stuff They Don't Want You To Know is brought to you by Alienware. During Dell Tech Fest, score game-changing innovations with limited-time deals on select next-gen Alienware gaming tech. New dimensions await with advanced gaming systems like the Alienware M18 laptop powered by an Intel Core i9 processor. Featuring awe-inspiring visuals, liquid cooling, three-dimensional audio with Dolby Atmos, and impressive overclocking potential. Plus, build your dream setup with great deals on select gaming monitors, mice, and more must-have electronics and accessories. When you shop online at Alienware.com deals, you'll have access to leading-edge gaming technology to conquer the competition and free shipping on everything. Amazing prices await you for a limited time only at Alienware.com deals. That's Alienware.com deals. Tax season is approaching, bringing potential extra cash your way. Rather than spending it all on an expensive deal filled with yada yada from your current wireless plan, consider switching to Metro by T-Mobile for no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada. You don't take yada yada in life. Don't take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro by T-Mobile has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide. Beyond Zero is Toyota's vision of a carbon neutral future and more. Toyota gives you the power to reduce carbon emissions and help move toward its vision with a wide selection of electrified vehicles. Whether you're into hybrid EVs for that traditional Toyota feel with better MPG, battery EVs for a smooth and silent ride, or plug-in hybrid EVs that switch between battery and fuel, Toyota has you covered. And for those who prefer hydrogen, Toyota's fuel cell EVs emit nothing but water vapor from the tailpipe. So cool. Giving you the choice on how to reduce carbon emissions and move closer to Toyota's Beyond Zero Vision. Visit toyota.com slash electrified-vehicles slash beyond-zero-vision. Toyota, let's go places. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. They call me Ben. We're joined, as always, with our super producer, Alexis, codenamed Doc Holliday Jackson. Most importantly, you are you, you are here, and that makes this stuff they don't want you to know. It's our listener mail segment, and we have some doozies for you. Uh, as always, we have picked three today uh and we've been we've been chipping away at this stuff you know like uh like some kind of conspiracy santa claus making a list checking it twice and we do have one surprise for you a special shout out at the end of today's show so stay tuned but first uh let's see 
Let's see. We've got some uh, music conspiracies. We've got some photographs. We've got some codes to crack. Where do you say we begin today, gents? Uh, you know, Matt, I'm I'm tempted because you know I'm 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 a big fan of this one, so I'm I'm tempted to uh, to defer to you. All right, yeah, let's let's uh, let's get our unidentified aerial phenomena on. Oh, fine. It, it, it's been a running thing on these episodes and our strange news episodes recently. And uh, spoiler alert: we had a phone call with a celebrity, and we talked specifically about the thing that we're about to talk about right now before it happened. So crazy times. Let's uh, let's jump into this. We got a message from another Matt. So let's hear it. Hey guys, this is Matt in Arizona. Just want to say that I love the show. And I was reading an article yesterday about um, an object being sighted by a pilot. It was like a floating black cube. There's just been a lot of UFO news uh, recently. And I wanted to know what you guys thought of it. And if you think disclosure is coming soon. All right, thanks. Bye-bye. Boom. Disclosure. Is it coming soon? That was literally the discussion that we had just the other day. And that's uh, not just a veiled flex on Matt's part, by the way, that we had a dis- conversation about disclosure with a celebrity. That's going to come around and benefit you, the audience, uh, on a podcast feed near you very soon. It will be one of the weirdest things you've heard in some time, uh, just as this oh, was. Oh, sorry. I thought that was a Transformers reference. I know what you guys are talking about now. No, I'm back, yes. I'm back, back in. I'm back in. I'm back on board. Okay, let's go. Back in the game. Back in the game. Okay. So, uh, I, Matt, thank you so much for calling, first of all. We appreciate your kind words. And uh, we also appreciate that disclosure has been on our minds a lot recently as the all kinds of reports have been coming out recently. Um, this one, I think this is the one you're speaking about. It's a report from uh, popular mechanics that I stumbled upon and actually sent to the guys. I think, I think they probably saw it independently before I sent it to them, but we had a quick discussion about it. This is the title leaked government photo shows motionless cube shaped UFO and motionless cube shaped is in quotations. Now there are photos of this supposed UFO that you can find on that popular mechanics site, as well as a couple other places. I believe the debrief had one of the first uh, pieces of reporting on this back in early December. And they've got the great, it's a really great wide photo of it right at the top of their page on the debrief and then a zoomed in picture as well. We'll talk about it a little bit, but I would just say the first thing that strikes me here, Ben and Noel, is the similarities of this thing to the Black Knight satellite. Mm-hmm. Do, you re- do you remember that? Just in shape, yeah. in form, it feels very similar to me. Uh, in looking at the image, it does not look cube-shaped at all to me. <laughs> but I can, I guess, imagine how it could be cube-shaped? Um, it doesn't feel that way to me at all, but let's just, let's go through this on the popular mechanics side. So this is an unclassified image that has been going around U.S. intelligence agencies for a while. It claims to show this thing, unidentified aerial phenomena. Um, it is, it has been described by U.S. officials as silver and cube shaped. 
And um, that is from the reporting on the debrief. Looks like more like a like a shield or something. It's almost like triangular. It's like con concave at the top and then comes down to a point. I don't see the cubeness of it. Yeah, that that's that's essentially what I was saying. It to me, it more resembles the Black Knight satellite and not so much a a cube shape. Mm. But you know, I this is a single still image, and the report is going off of what these pilots experienced, um, and then what uh, you know the images that were there. And we're only getting one still image, essentially. Oh, so, and, and a quick interjection here for anybody unfamiliar. Uh, the Black Knight satellite, according to the true believers, is a satellite that's in a near polar orbit of Earth, hmm. and it's extraterrestrial in origin, and the idea is that NASA is, for one reason or another, covering up its existence. Uh, there is space debris that might have been misidentified as that stuff, but as we, I think we, I think this is related to our corona or key episodes where we look at the main flaw of putting satellites in space, which is that it's very difficult to keep them secret because the technology you need to see most satellites is not out of the reach of the common person yeah. if they're focused. But but this is different, as you were saying, Matt, because this is, it is one still image, but it is... Um, it is pretty clear, and I think the main conversation now is, well, without getting too far ahead of ourselves, what the hell is it? <laughs> well, yeah, there are a lot of possibilities. Right. Um, one of the one of the primary writers there from the debrief that's been speaking about this is a guy named Tim McMillan, who also contributes to Popular Mechanics, and uh, he's done a pretty great job of you know writing about this thing. And then several other people have been doing some great reporting, but they're just saying that there are um, multiple people confirming that this thing was a part of the unidentified aerial phenomenon task forces efforts to look at things. It was classified in that way. It comes from 2018. Um, I don't know what it is, but there's a lot of conjecture about that. Let's see. It was um, encountered by a pilot flying over the Atlantic Ocean on the east coast of the United States in that year, 2018. And the image that we're seeing, that if you look on any, any of these websites, it was captured on a cell phone. It's not as though it was part of the onboard systems of that that fighter jet. Mm -hmm. The I think it's an FA-18F Super Hornet. Um, it was just a cell phone image. It was snapped from from inside the cockpit which is crazy to think about. And this guy that I was mentioning, the writer, Tim McMillan, he describes it as inverted and bell-shaped and having ridges or other protrusions along its lateral edges extending towards its base, kind of the way, Noel, you were describing it there. It's really interesting because the possibilities are all over the place. Mm -hmm. One of the major ones that that Popular Mechanics is pointing to is a GPS drop sond. Mm -hmm. With uh, an E at the end. Yeah, D-R-O-P-S-O-N-D-E. Uh, and essentially what you would, the theory there is that what you're seeing is actually a parachute mm. um, that has been deployed to, oh. with one of these things. Yeah, that because makes a lot of sense, actually, looking at it. Yeah, I can see it, that. It's possible that it could be that, but the issue is that the actual um, mechanical thing that mm -hmm. is attached to that parachute doesn't appear to be in the photograph. 
And just to be clear, like if it were a GPS drops on a conventional one, then it would have that cylinder hanging down from that that parachute. And it, and it doesn't. It doesn't have that piece of it. Uh, also, Matt, when you originally said that you objected to the idea of it being described as looking cube shaped, I mm-hmm. think I think part of it is down to the distance and the perspective. It looks like the person in the back seat. This is a two seater fighter. Yes, looks like yes. the person in the back seat is taking this uh, photograph over someone's shoulder, as you said, from a cell phone. As they're flying, and from that distance, without zooming in, it would look cube shaped. So I, I think we're we've got the benefit of analysis here. But I did notice the same thing when you mentioned that. Yeah, no, for sure. And and again, we only have the image, and then what the fighter pilots had to say about it. Um, and here is just another extra piece of information uh, from that writer McMillan. It says, "quote." Pilots who encountered the object described that unlike a balloon under similar conditions or perhaps even, you know, a parachute of some sort, the object was completely motionless and seemingly unaffected by ambient air currents, Mm. which would, you know, would speak to it having some kind of propulsion system that's allowing it to stay in one place rather than being taken just, you know, by the air current. Right, yeah, because uh, the GPS drops on is like it's it's dropping the whole yeah, time. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> a it's a parachute. It just kind of slows it down. It doesn't stop it in the middle of the air. And I always think about this: is it possible, maybe, that given the rate of descent, if this were just a parachute, and the angle and speed of the plane, is it possible that it could have appeared to be motionless? But if that feels like something the pilots would already have known how to suss out, right? Because they fly for a living. Yeah, for sure. You know, the only other thing I can imagine is that the, if it was a drop sound or something like this, that's really heavy, somehow the parachute itself is actually being pushed towards, so the air current is moving towards the pilots to where at such a, a rate that it's actually the drop sound is obscured out of view on the other side, uh, like away from the pilots. But then again, they're, they're passing by it. So they would see it on the other side. Then it would just be on the pilots to look back, I guess, and check it out on the other side. But again, I don't think that's physically possible, at least at the altitude where it was, where it was found. Hmm. Um, and the conditions, the air conditions, I, I don't know, man, it's definitely weird. Mm-hmm. Right, it's an just chalk it up to another very strange aerial phenomena that has been recorded and officially was in the on the books of the government program that's been out there looking at it since 2012, at least according to the official story. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know what else to say about this, guys. I just know I'm going to keep looking for news on it. Whoa! And I think we're going to keep seeing. St- stories like this i think we're gonna keep it's like like we've said in the call we were talking about and just in general on the show as who, who was it the gentleman that was the head of the israeli uh space program who came out and, and made some pretty extreme statements um about disclosure level events and it just feels like the facade is cracking a little bit and we're going to keep seeing little drips and drabs and stories like this don't make the news as much anymore which i think is really telling 
I don't know how you guys feel about that fact that these stories aren't like front page news. Is it because everything else is so effed up that like this is just sort of a drop in the bucket? Or I was having a conversation with a friend of mine about the idea of these sort of reports being just delegitimized over time, just the whole idea of them or of the discussion, even like not having a place in public discourse, it just being inherently fringe because of terms of abuse, like conspiracy theories and, you know, all that stuff. Um, I'm wondering what your thoughts are, Matt and Ben, on on why this stuff doesn't crack through when it clearly is legitimate news, especially the Israeli, um, you know, space program head and some of the things that we've been seeing coming out of retired Air Force people and, and uh, you know, these these for this footage from uh, pilots and, and the like. There's a lot to say about all of that, Noel, but there's no way currently to prove any of the th- statements that were made by or at least to publicly to any to any I would say uh actively working researcher that is not under some kind of gag order or you know working on some kind of classified program to come out and and verify any of the things that were stated by uh oh goodness Ben what was his name Professor Ashed, Ashed yeah uh, former general in uh, yeah. Israeli forces as well even someone with those kind of credentials, there's no way to prove what he's saying. And the only thing that could be said is you deny that there's some classified material. You can't say yes or no to it. You just say, we can't confirm or deny this. Um, there's no good way to address it, I don't think. Unless unless you come out and you just say, yes, what he's saying is true. And All of it. <laughs> get, yeah, um, get ready. Yeah. Hold on to your butts. Well, it's like... Um, <laughs> it's like the, uh, you know, there's a similar phenomenon we see in the debriefs report on this this photograph because they reached out to Uncle Sam and the official, like the, the Pentagon's response was, we can't give you any more details other than it was somewhere east of this one continent and it was over the ocean. We can't say anything else because it might... Uh, what what is it like? It might compromise our operations. They don't want to give enemy information. Uh, so so that kind of obfuscation, even if necessary, does lend itself to speculation. And I will say that we live in a time and a culture now where we are all encouraged to believe in uh, like instant gratification or that things play out like a uh, things play out the way that our favorite televised dramas or films do there's not life does not obey a three-act structure right there these reports uh, may be increasing in frequency but it is somewhat self-centered to like it's the way that doomsday cults work because people like to think naturally i will be alive during this hugely important event. You know what I mean? Just because we feel that, and there's nothing wrong with having feelings. I hear they're great. But just because people feel that way doesn't automatically uh, make it true. You know what I mean? Uh, I I do see an increased frequency, uh, but I don't know what that means, Matt. I mean, you think I think you make one of the most important points here, which is that if this were a magic eight ball, we would need the the answer would be ask again later right now and look i really want there to be extraterrestrials and i really want them to be like out in the open in my lifetime i that's fine if it leads to my 
painful death. I, I don't care. I've had it coming <laughs> for a while. It'll just be worth it know. to live in that time. I want them to be cool and smarter than us, but like willing to share and be chill and like make make life better. And that's my like benevolent, uh, you know, optimistic view of of disclosure. Uh, I yeah. know the reality is it'll probably be like we we are a cancerous uh, plague upon the universe and they're going to exterminate us, probably with good reason. <laughs> but, yeah. you know, I'm holding out hope no. for the uh, at least somewhere in the middle of those two. Things. We had a rough year, aliens, you know. <laughs> Come, come, hang with us. <laughs> I hear you. Share you, your wisdom. You want the Galactic Federations? I want the Galactic Federation. Yes. What we're gonna get are the Borg, and that's just okay. how it's gonna be, bro. Okay. Well, we uh, won't know what we're getting. The concept of it being anything remotely like us is yeah. incredibly, uh, incredibly anthropocentric. So we, we that's what I'm saying. It's know. gonna be the Borg. It's it's gonna be a thing that takes all the biological material around it and turns it into itself maybe maybe it'll be maybe it'll be one of those happy accidents where like the extraterrestrial forces consider plastic and microplastics the most important like rare commodity <gasps> and the they world. just eat all up and all our pollution to, and then they eat up the pollution to finish that's yeah. brilliant ben that is brilliant well let us know what, what you think about all of this. And I'm going to leave us with a message from Pentagon spokeswoman Susan Go. Ready? To maintain operations security and to avoid disclosing information that may be useful to potential adversaries, DOD does not discuss publicly the details of reports, observations, or examinations of reported incursions into our training ranges or designated airspace including those incursions initially designated as unidentified aerial phenomena. Mm -hmm. I hope that helps everyone sleep. It's put me to sleep. And, uh, well, it's the same thing as saying, look, if there are aliens, we're not going to tell you. Yeah. If you parse the sentence, (laughs) which is dope. All right. Thank you so much, Matt, for giving us a call. Uh, we will be right back after a word from our sponsor. Saturdays are for sunshine, especially for your ears. With another election, ongoing wars, and natural disasters, we know the news can be a lot to take in. And we're determined to share the bright side of humanity. Every Saturday, take a breather from the headlines and hear all the uplifting happenings across the world with Five Good Things, a new weekend edition of CNN Five Things. That means you can find this goodness in the same feed as Five Things. Listen to Five Good Things on the iHeartRadio app. Hi, I'm Antonia Blythe, and this is 20 Questions on Deadline. Joining me today is Alison Bree. Welcome, Alison. We got second place in my seventh grade lip sync contest for one of the songs on that album. The one that was like, you've already won me over. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. It's a very of all slow. The, of all the options. In spite of me. <laughs> like, what did we do? It's so slow. Don't forget to listen to 20 Questions on the Deadline. Thank you again, Alison. Thank you. Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was edited so well. I think you're so talented. Social media interactions are only 
only positive when you use Zigazoo. Zigazoo is the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. Your kids can upload their content and see what their friends are up to. With Zigazoo, they can create videos, enter to win prizes, and try out the latest dances and trends. There's no commenting, no text messaging, and everything is 100% human moderated. Plus, all community members are real, verified kids just like yours. There are no bots, trolls, or AI. Because Zigazoo is about one thing and one thing only, and that is fun. Try out Zigazoo this spring break and let your kids share your vacation vlogs and best edits with their friends safely. Download the Zigazoo app today. That's Z-I-G-A-Z-O-O. Ready to unlock a world of entertainment? Philips Roku TV has America's favorite TV streaming platform built in. So you can watch live TV, catch every game, discover must-see shows and hit movies, and get all the best streaming apps in one place, like iHeart, for all your favorite music, radio, and podcasts. Watch what you want, when you want. Immerse yourself in entertainment with premium 4K picture and sound for every budget, with sizes for every room. Find your perfect Philips Roku TV today, online or at your local Walmart and Sam's Club. And we're back. Um, and we've got a, a little update to a, a story that I think's been on the minds of conspiracy realists and theorists and true crime junkies alike uh, for many, many years. And it's something very near and dear to our compatriot Matt Frederick's heart uh, in the form of a fantastic podcast series that he executive produced called Monster Colon. The Zodiac Killer. Um, and it's something I think has been just like in the zeitgeist as long as I've been thinking about crime and and, and serial killers. And it, it is that for a reason because it's largely, I mean, not largely, it's remained unsolved. And it's a real mystery. There's a lot of weird inconsistencies about it and the mode of victim choosing and all of that that's really baffled um, detectives and investigators for many, many years. It's the subject of a fabulous David Fincher film called Zodiac, which I love because it's sort of slow, but it harkens back to like a kind of a Scorsese sort of 70s kind of, no, nah, it's less, it's it's more seventies than Scorsese. It's got a lot of like plotting kind of moments and then punctuated by bursts of stabbings and like violence. And then it goes back to being very placid and kind of cerebral. I'm a big fan of, of the film, even though it's not for everybody, but if you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it. And a big part of the Zodiac killer was his, uh, or their, uh, I guess, fixation on taunting and communicating with the press and the government. Matt, you want to talk a little bit about that aspect of it? That's my favorite part. And I think what um, is so intriguing, one of the parts that's so intriguing about it. Sure. Yeah. The killer or alleged killer or person impersonating the killer would often call the police departments. Um, Many times he did that. One of his favorite things to do was to send messages, written, handwritten messages to the San Francisco Chronicle and a couple like local papers out there in Vallejo and a couple other towns. And he would, yeah, like you said, taunt them with written English words, but then he would also include things called ciphers uh, or, you know, were referred to as ciphers. They're like codes, essentially uh, encrypted messages that he would then further taunt these publications and the police to try and solve it. Basically. Um, I bet you can't solve it. You're not smart enough, essentially. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And several had been, have been solved in the past. One was solved very early mm-hmm. by uh, a teacher and her husband. Um, I believe, uh, forgive me if I'm incorrect there, but it, it was solved very early just by a couple of amateur, amateur people who were interested in it and they spent some time on it. Uh, but there was one called the 340 cipher that for 51 years was unsolved. Um, and it's something that, you know, it was frustrating in making that show just still not to have answers to it. I, you know, was very surprised to all out of the blue, see, see that it had been solved. Ben and I were texting and I was very skeptical. I was just like, Oh yeah. Okay. There's Uh nothing new here. It's just him boasting again, being an a-hole or who this person, whoever Zodiac was or claimed to be. Um, but it, there's some interesting stuff in there. I looked in it further, Ben, and you were, you were right in what you were saying. Well, it is a little fascinating. And sorry, no, not to get in front of, this is a listener mail show. We are getting to a piece of listener mail at some yeah. point. But it is um, fascinating and it's uh, tantalizing in the most uh, the most tragic way. Because I, whenever we talk about these things, I want to make sure that people know we are well aware that real innocent people died. And I hate how exploitative some of that stuff can become. I want to praise Monster because it is the opposite of that. And it is very smart and very well done. I don't want to put you on the spot or blow you up, Matt, but it's true. It's not a compliment or a criticism. It's an observation. It's very well done. And the thing about the thing about this, this case is that at some point there was this huge belief, correct me if I'm off base here, guys, but there was this huge belief that the Zodiac disclosed their real name or a real clue to their identity, one of these ciphers. And so that's that's part of why there's so much energy put into solving them, even decades later. And this, uh, well, this, uh, well, this might not. He said, he said as much. He said, solve this one, essentially, and you'll find out who I really am. Mm-hmm. And there's this one line of code that's supposedly his name, but if you speak with the experts who've been working on this for a long time, it's almost impossible to solve for that one line of code because you don't have enough information essentially to figure out what all the characters mean. That That's one of the big things with solving the original ciphers that were solved by those amateurs. There was so much there that they could just do kind of substitution and they were able to mm. figure it out. It's also funny, like not to get too uh, caught up in the pop culture side of it, but like, I think it's pretty clear that this case was a big influence on a lot of serial killer type fiction, uh, especially seven, which is David Fincher's first big, very interesting movie because a feature of that killer was also taunting the detectives, you know, that were on the hunt for this killer. And I I think that's also probably something that even goes back to like Hitchcock and older uh, tropes in, in this kind of storytelling. But this modern version of that, to me, a lot of that comes from the, uh, the Zodiac Um, So back to the listener mail aspect of it, only to say it was was a listener named Dan that just sent us a link to this article about uh, Zodiac Killer Codebreakers Solved San Francisco Killer's Cipher. Uh, Just said on the off chance you guys didn't see this yet. So thanks, Dan. We had seen it and we were chatting about it, but this gave us a great opportunity to talk about it on the show outside of listener mail. Um, So the 
bad news is, I don't know if it's even considered bad news, is it's it's not like this is some sort of game changer for the case. It's not like there was some hidden message in the cipher that is going to really crack the thing wide open to let people know who the Zodiac Killer was. It's a lot of the same kind of egotistical taunting that that the killer was already doing. Would you agree with that? Is that fair to say, Matt? That was my initial reaction to seeing the solution that David Oranchak came back with, who well, is somebody just, we, we spoke with on the podcast, by the oh, way. Um, I didn't know that. That's mm-hmm. awesome. Um, so let you decide for yourselves. Here is the uh, full message uh, that Oranchak posted in the metadata for a YouTube video. That's sort of like, uh, I guess, the scoop on this. Um, this is his for, announcement, yeah. This is his announcement. Uh, Let's Crack the Zodiac, episode five. I guess it's a podcast, or what is it? It's just like it's, a YouTube channel? It's a YouTube series. Yeah. So right now it has uh, 1.4 uh, million views, uh, get, approaching 1.5. Um, and here is what it says. I hope you're having lots of fun and trying to catch me. That wasn't me on the TV show, which brings up a point about me. I'm not afraid of the gas chamber because it will send me to paradise all the sooner because I now have enough slaves to work for me where everyone else has nothing when they reach paradise. Keep spelling paradise with a C at the end, which is interesting. He did that Um, a lot. Yeah. So they are afraid of death. I am not afraid because I know that my new life is... Um, there's some like, you know, weird anachronistic, uh, grammar and, and spellings all throughout this life will be an easy one in paradise death. Yeah. I, yes. Interesting stuff, right? I mean, he's talked about, or at least in previous communications, Z or Zodiac talked about gathering slaves and his belief, at least his stated belief that when he kills an individual, they become his slave in the afterlife. Mm-hmm. Talked about that a lot. And that was at least what he claimed. That was one of his motivations that he claimed. Um, again, it's hard to know because all we have are these messages that are essentially taunts, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that he could be really what he thinks, really what he means, or he could just be talking a bunch of stuff. Or he might not have that line of consistency which is something we see happen pretty often, right? People's stated motivations for doing something will change and they don't feel like they're lying because they're already so unstable that whatever feels like the truth to them at that moment is the truth. Very possibly. But the coolest things about this that, you know, on further looking at it, because I didn't see the thing about the TV show. Mm -hmm. That's, That's a huge standout. Uh, there was an incident on this this show called the Jim Dunbar Show where an attorney named Melvin Belli went on there and they were taking calls, essentially trying to get Zodiac to call into the show. And someone called in claiming to be Zodiac and they specifically mentioned that they were afraid they didn't want to go to the gas chamber, essentially. So this, and the timeline matches up, by the way, for this to be sent pretty soon after that incident on the Jim Dunbar show. So the concept here that the Zodiac is replying to that instance, uh, saying that's not me, I'm not mm-hmm. afraid of the gas chamber. It wasn't me on the TV show. That is fascinating. And it further solidifies that this is the actual Zodiac. True. Why do that particularly in such a difficult to crack code? If you're, if you're trying to respond uh, to something that you see as like an affront to your whole thing. Well, in a weird way, it's, 
it's an intellectual game that's being played here. There's time, like the amount of time that it would take mm-hmm. to solve this. Even if you were successful at solving, it's going to take you a lot longer to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, it speaks to your, the character that you are building as this serial killer mm-hmm. that, because really if, if I learned anything about Zodiac, it's that it's a person who needed attention. Right. Terribly. Mm-hmm. Like, craved it and needed it. They're the and worst kind of people, even when they're yeah. not killing people. Right. <laughs> yeah. Can we really t- quickly talk about why ciphers like this are so difficult to decode? Sure. Because, um, I mean, th- th- what ended up happening, I believe, was a combination of algorithmic technology and human uh, involvement. And, you, yes. you know, we, we've talked about things like this on the show plenty, um, and they're just not easy. And I guess it's because each set of characters is generated by an individual. And so it's difficult to, you know, there's, there's like a, so many combinations and potential possibilities that, that it's difficult. It's like running, it's like doing a, a brute force attack on a password or something like it's not easy, but it's even more difficult than that. Well, there are a couple of aspects here. First, I, I want to get back to, um, Sorry, I should have been more clear. I want to get back to what I was saying. The um, there's to add to your point, Matt, because I don't want to lose it. Uh, there's also a mark of authenticity that comes through in these ciphers, which is very big, right? Uh, for the the question or the remarks you're you're having though about the the cipher, what's what's fascinating is not just the process of cracking it, but how like the questions about the typos. Are they a are they themselves an encoding error on the on the side of uh, Zodiac, or mm. are they purposefully meant to make the code more difficult? Uh, and also, process aside, one of the one of the most amazing things, at least to me, about this is that they were able to not just crack the cipher. And this is something I want to throw to you, Matt, is but they were also able to find an example of something like this cipher in a military manual from the 1950s. Yes. But they did that after they cracked the code, right? Mm, yes, but it was kind of known for a while there that it was military encryption that was being used as one of the main things. There was mm-hmm. also a connection to military boots, uh, mm-hmm. a couple other connections to someone possibly being former military, in the military, or at least an enthusiast of some kind of post, you know, post-use military store or something like that. Who knows? But the, yeah, the encryption was, this one in particular did end up going back there. And again, it's a credit to to David Aranchak and a couple of their guys, Sam Blake. I think it's Jarl Van Eyck. That's another person from Belgium. They They all worked really, really hard on this. And the encryption is crazy. The way they solved it, Noel, if I would just recommend, because I can't explain it to you right now, uh, it's too difficult. But if you go and watch Let's Crack Zodiac episode five on YouTube right now, David lays out exactly what the algorithm is doing, what the human input was, like how they actually changed a couple things. They did some cribbing on their own and then had to manipulate the code itself yep. to get to the right thing. Because it's crazy. It's crazy. I, I will. And I, I Ben, um, your point, I think it's really interesting. So you're saying perhaps the Zodiac made those end uh, typos on purpose to throw off an algorithm or to throw off like pattern recognition because it, it wouldn't read as a certain word anymore or a certain sequence. Uh, I'd say it's, it's possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just one of the many things I learned from checking out monster. 
Uh, so yeah. it is, it's true. Like, uh, yeah, that's one thing. But then the reason that stays in the realm of speculation is because we would have to, to some degree, gauge intent. So it could be a purposeful kind of red herring to throw or a little obstacle to bake into the labyrinth there. Or it could be an honest mistake because these are pretty complex ciphers. You know what I mean? This is yeah. not Igpe Attenle. Well, it does seem that this that there was one line that was shifted over by mm. a character. And that seems, I don't know if that was done in error. Maybe it was, again, another booby trap, essentially. Um, but that could have been a mistake. Mm-hmm. Um, and he misspelled things in his regular correspondence all the time. Whoever Zodiac was, like Christmas with two S's, mm-hmm. all, like the Paradise thing was spelled with a C a ton um, when he's actually writing it out. Mm-hmm. So, you know, misspelling, I think, is a common thing for whoever this person was. Um, and either being a terrible speller or doing it on purpose, I don't know. A lot of the experts pointed to th- to the belief that he was doing it on purpose. Mm. Oh, and the FBI has, has fully acknowledged this uh, this cracking of the code and, and made a, a statement. The San Francisco Division of the FBI. The FBI is aware that a cipher attributed to the Zodiac Killer was recently solved by private citizens. The Zodiac Killer case remains on an ongoing investigation for the FBI San Francisco Division and our local law enforcement partners. The Zodiac Killer terrorized multiple communities across Northern California, and even though decades have gone by, we continue to seek justice for the victims of these brutal crimes. Due to the ongoing nature of the investigation, and out of respect for the victims and their families, we will not be providing further comment at this time. Yep. It's true. It's an ongoing case. And if you try and talk to the San Francisco Police Department at there at the <laughs> Hall of Justice, they're just like, nah. Nah, we can't talk about it. Sorry. And then you pester them for a long right. time, and they're like, nah. <laughs> because there's there's a possibility, you know, that there are other murders that might eventually be tied in with it, might be that person's work. Yeah. And there's, of course, the possibility that that person uh, may still somehow be alive. There is a possibility. But it's like not a major possibility, right? But, it, but it's cool to because there is, right? I mean, you, we can't discount it. A lot of the major the major people who would have been considered suspects have passed already. Um, just so you guys know, right before this recording, I talked to Michael Butterfield, uh, our Zodiac expert that we talked to for Monster, the Zodiac Killer, and uh, he had just spoken with with David Aranchak, and he did some great writing on ZodiacKillerFacts.com. Uh, there's a, a huge article on there where he goes over a lot of the details, and if anybody's interested, you can basically click through links for a long time on that and see everything you'd want to find out about it. Uh, and big, big shout out to Michael Butterfield for always being right on the money with his, his writing and research. Cool. Um, but yeah, I mean, this obviously goes without saying, but there is no statute of limitations on murder. So the uh, SFPD will, or I'm sorry, the whatever. Yeah. The them, but also the FBI uh, will continue to not talk about this until there's a break in the case. And even if that person is dead, you know, they will continue. I mean, I think that's fascinating. That aspect of detective work and law enforcement, that like that doggedness that was requires, like you understand why they want to check off cases and close cases and, and, and pin things on people because otherwise it's just out there, you know, and mm-hmm. everybody wants closure. Oh yeah. No, you're so right. Can I can I just, just say one more thing, you guys? In in the actual written out portion that was solved there by Ranchak and the fellows, so they had to transpose 
the characters before they actually then tried to solve it. So there's a multi-part, there's a multi-step way to solve this thing. They found that life is was written out on the top right hand side of the thing. And they just excluded that from the rest of the solve that they, they put through for the cipher. And David's initial concept was to put it after that my new, and then they just inserted life is there. I think that's incorrect. Oh, I think it should say, I am not afraid because I know that my mm-hmm. new, and then it would go to the next line, life will be an easy one in paradise. Mm. Then that life is would be inserted there where it is. That's the end. Um, life will be an easy one in paradise. New line. Life is death. That's, I think, what it would. Uh, yeah, because I think what it would say. Because that is, what, what is it now? It's just is death, right? It says that my new life is life will be an easy one in paradise death. In paradise death. That's right. I yeah. thought it said, but I remember it feeling anachronistic there at the end, like there was something missing. That's 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 good. He, he would do that all the time. And the other ones that were solved, it just, it felt like that's not the end of a sentence. That's like a whole new thought. And mm-hmm. he would just put them in weird places. So mm. just a concept. I may be wrong. No, that's that makes a lot of sense to me, um, and and kudos to the team behind this uh, for for cracking this. Obviously, uh, fascinating to a lot of people that have been following this case for so long. Um, and who knows? Maybe there could be more breaks. But um, I think it's time to take another break of our own, huh? Cool. And then we'll be back with more listener mail. Saturdays are for sunshine, especially for your ears. With another election, ongoing wars, and natural disasters, we know the news can be a lot to take in. And we're determined to share the bright side of humanity. Every Saturday, take a breather from the headlines and hear all the uplifting happenings across the world with Five Good Things, a new weekend edition of CNN Five Things. That means you can find this goodness in the same feed as Five Things. Listen to Five Good Things on the iHeartRadio app. Billie Eilish and Phineas O'Connell, they're with us today on Crew Call. I'm your host, Anthony D'Alessandro. Billie's vocals, it was automatic art. You know, I had to like choose a more challenging route than just like da-da-da-da. You know what I'm saying? Like it could have been like easier. And a lot of people have asked me like, how did you choose to have it be so soft and like so simple? And what else was it going to like? That's what the song wanted. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Crew Call podcast on Deadline. Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was edited so well. I think you're so talented. Social media interactions are only positive when you use Zigazoo. Zigazoo is the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. Your kids can upload their content and see what their friends are up to. With Zigazoo, they can create videos, enter to win prizes, and try out the latest dances and trends. There's no commenting, no text messaging, and everything is 100% human moderated. Plus, all community members are real, verified kids just like yours. There are no bots, trolls, or AI. Because Zigazoo is about one thing and one thing only, and that is fun. Try out Zigazoo this spring break and let your kids share your vacation blogs and best edits with their friends safely. Download the Zigazoo app today. That's Z-I-G-A-Z-O-O. From football playoffs to basketball madness... 
TCL Roku TVs are the best way to stream your favorite live sports. With all the biggest sports channels, a sports zone with all available games in one place, and apps like iHeartRadio with sports podcasts such as The Herd with Colin Cowherd. Cheering on your favorite team has never been easier. A big screen TCL Roku TV offers premium picture and sound quality, so you'll feel like you're right in the action. Find the perfect TCL Roku TV for you today at Amazon.com. And we have returned. Uh, this is this is a fascinating one. It's one that uh, Matt and I were. Gosh, Matt, you you say that we touched on this at some point, uh, and I I honestly I don't remember whether we did or not. But I thought this would be interesting to our sound nerds, our uh, conspiracy realists. And our uh, our our Hertz fans in the crowd. Why not? Why not? I think I think Noel might recall it better even than us, just because uh, I called it something wrong. What did I? I called it something wrong, Ben. What is what is it? The devil's, devil's inter- tritone, devil's interval. Uh, but here, yeah. let's, no spoilers. I don't want to give everybody a long prologue. Uh, okay. Let's let's go ahead and play it, please. Let's hear this one. Yo, what's up, fellas? Uh, my name's Keith. I'm calling from Chicago. Musician out here. And uh, Matt said something on the air the other day about uh, popped peas in the microphone, and I left it on the review, but those are called plosives. Cool term I learned when I was studying music in college. Anyways, um, the other thing I wanted to know is if you guys have ever done a show on the conspiracy that we tune the pitch of A to 440 hertz. And there is, you know, conspiracy theories that the Nazis wanted that to be the tone, um, because it causes a little more dissonance between the intervals. Now, um, a lot of the time people, you'll see videos on YouTube and such that if you tune to four, three, two, 432 Hertz, that you get a much calmer and cleaner tone. Um, I have honestly not done much research into this, but I do find it interesting because comparatively, when you play two different pieces at those different tunings, you notice a sound, um, I think it's a cool concept. I don't know if you guys have touched on it. Once again, man, my name's Keith. Calling from Chicago. You guys are great. Wow. Keith. Keith. Thank you. Keith from Chicago. So, Keith, uh, (laughs) first off, thank you so much. We are in the world of podcasting. We're very well aware of plosives, the popped peas and the bupped bees. Uh, bupped is a word I just made up. I don't uh-huh. think that'll work. But those the, are called bo- those are called plosives. <laughs> sure. And the uh, the the thing that's interesting about this is we've we, there's there are quite a few conspiracies in the world of sound. Matt Noel, that's one of the reasons I wanted to share this call with you today. Uh, we talked about the brown note in the past, and we've talked about the ways in which sound and frequencies can. Uh, can influence the human mind and past a certain threshold do physiological damage to people. Uh, but, but at this point, what's fascinating about this is uh, that this is a tremendously like popular conspiracy uh, theory, and it ties into a couple of different things. I believe, Keith, that you said tuning, was it for... I think you meant to say 440 hertz. 440 right? hertz is the standard yeah. for for middle A. Yeah. Yeah, and then you'll see these. You'll see tons of if you just a cursory search on YouTube, you'll see tons of things about tuning A to 432 hertz gives it some sort of assumed 
uh, medicinal properties like healing or, or soothing properties, and that the entire reason we have 440 hertz is because of Joseph Goebbels, the Nazi minister of propaganda. So mm-hmm. first questions for you guys. One, have you heard it before? Uh, two, where do you think it comes from? I had not heard this before, but in listening to Keith, I immediately started Googling it and found uh, a great article um, from globalnews.ca about the great 440 hertz conspiracy. And uh, this is right up my alley because I'm really in particular into synthesis and like electronic music. And so the idea of like hertz and tuning is, is really fascinating because you can like if you play two tones that are just slightly detuned by the intervals that we're talking about, these aren't even whole step intervals. These are like microtones, basically. So like you can play 440 along with like a 420, 437, and you'll get a little bit of phasing and dissonance and kind of like a almost a chorusy effect. But they're not like two completely different notes. They're like almost the notes in between the notes. Um, and we could talk more about microtones and stuff as we go. But I think this is fascinating, and it's the idea, the notion that Goebbels had is that it uh, would make people more aggressive. Isn't that right? Yeah, yeah, let's dig into it. Matt, you said, however, that you had heard you had heard something like this before. This is not something I've delved very deeply into. I'd heard the rumors online, usually on message boards where I've seen it, where somebody is, you know, purporting to or claiming that the 440 thing was a sinister move hmm. um, to, to make things more minor and to put more tension just in the public sphere, essentially, to make things just more overly sinister. Yeah. Um, but but again, it didn't feel, it never felt like a, I don't know, way to make any change, I guess. Like, let's detune these things a little bit. <laughs> yeah, like it's it's weaponizing music, right? To your point, it's, Noel, there's this, the so the conspiracy lore is that once upon a very dark time, then Nazi minister of propaganda, Joseph Goebbels, said, we are going to tune everything to 440 hertz because this makes them a prisoner of their consciousness. And then later, in line with this story, there's the idea that the Rockefeller Foundation forced the U.S., overall, every part of the U.S., to adopt the 440 hertz standard in 1935 to lead to a musical cult control. So the idea is that you can you can turn up the notch on people's agitation and their mental state uh, through this very subtle way, uh, this subtle thing that uh, they won't notice, but it'll change their their behavior. We do know that music can be used to, uh, well, sometimes it's called to prime people to make them more likely to do mm. or not to do certain things. But it seems, I mean, Keith, this is fascinating to me, but it seems it seems a little, um, God, if it was true, it would be incredibly complicated, wouldn't it? Or would it be complicated? Well, I, I want to just clarify something I said at the top. I said that the difference between, like, say, 440 and 438 isn't 
as perceptible to the ear as as like 440 and 432, for example. But that's not entirely true. I was sort of like overstating the case um, because in, in, but when you're talking about um, hertz and, and tonal scales, they're divided up into microtones and there's uh, 12, I'm sorry, semitones. And, and an octave is a, a range of 12 semitones in uh, between two steps uh, in a scale. And that is divided into 100 saunts, which is like, a, a smaller unit of measurement between those scales. So the difference between 440 and 432 is actually 32 saunts. So a single saunt detuning between two notes would create more of that phasey kind of cool effect that I was talking about. But 32 saunts is going to be like in the neighborhood of a couple of whole steps or like, you know, it's, it's two completely different tuning standards. So I don't want to overstate the case there with what I said. I just want to clarify, but I think the reason this is interesting to me is because it's changing the foundation. So everything else changes around it. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's not changing the relationship between notes. It's just changing the like, um, standard around which every other interval is based. So 432 would actually be lower in pitch than 440, but that just means that the whole thing is lower and the standard is lower. So you can still play every note in the scale as high as you want to go. So that's why the idea of this having some sort of like, I mean, I can understand different intervals make you feel things like the idea of a blue note and a scale makes you feel sad. Or there are things in music that can communicate ideas um, like, you know, the hero's victory and using different numerology and having them built. But that has to be built into intervals, not just a single standardized uh, fundamental that everything else is built around. So that part confuses me a little bit as a musician. I would love to hear uh, Keith's perspective on that, how, how that, you know, works. It gets, it, it gets so nuts because uh, the reasoning behind this will also bring in numerology, saying that, for instance, the number 432 itself has special properties because it is the sum of four consecutive prime numbers, 103, 107, 109, 113, for anybody interested in that. Uh, and then there's the idea that it is somehow operating on a different chakra. That 440 works on the third eye chakra, the thinking chakra, and 432 simulates what's called the heart or the feeling chakra. However, I should say before we get to however, you will also see people arguing that uh, there should be a, a different, it shouldn't be 432 at all, that the healthy setting should actually be 528, and it's also based on these things that are a little bit difficult to prove. I found this show called Exposing Pseudo-Astronomy Podcast, which I thought was really interesting. In episode 141, they dive into this, and Keith, I would recommend, I I tend to read things more than I listen to them, so there there's great writing about this, but if, you, if you're looking for stuff, I would recommend checking out the podcast. Give us a call back. Let us know what you think of it. But this this person reads into this and they pointed out something that I think a lot escapes a lot of us, which is first, just science aside, when we exercise our critical thinking here, wouldn't this mainly only apply to Western music? Mm -hmm. So wouldn't wouldn't it be somewhat kind of uh, Eurocentric there like this conspiracy couldn't 
even if the Nazis did it, it couldn't work in other areas of the world, right? Not to mention this. Uh, I was reading a message board, and there's a lot of things to consider as to which um, tuning standard works best, and a lot of it is practical things. Like, violins only have four strings, and if you started, like, changing the standard of tuning uh, to be much higher those strings are going to be too tight and they're not going to generate the proper uh, freedom of vibration to get the purest tone. So like if you had to tune a violin up, you're tuning it to to tighten the string and it's not going to vibrate as freely and it's not going to be as pleasing to listen to. Same same with a guitar. Like you can use a capo, which like literally bars over the fret to make it higher. But when you start tuning a guitar up by actually tightening the strings, it changes the fundamental quality of the strings and how they interact scientifically. So uh, it matters, right? And and I think that's where the big argument was between like France and and, uh, and different parts of, in Austria, for example, there was a disagreement between the French and the Austrians as to the standard, and it came down to the fundamentals of like how a string actually vibrates, the optimum condition for the string to give the best sound. Hmm. There are other uh, things we can, like, let's look at it from all angles. So there's, there's another scientific aspect here. The idea that a vibration could... The main argument is that it affects the mind, right? That's the that there is some insidious plan to make people just kind of uptight, antsy, and ready to tangle, right? Uh, give them that late night at a bar on uh, during Mardi Gras energy. Uh, so, or wait, no, that's unfair to Mardi Gras. Late night at a bar at the end of a punk show energy. That's what they are saying. This this will do, but the human body is is huge and. It's composed of tiny molecules in different arrangements, different sizes, and a vibration, a single vibration, if it could affect the, at least the human body at a profound level like this, then we would be going crazy all of the time because we are around so many sounds and vibrations that we do not often consciously register, right? So that's... That's fascinating to me here, but there's also a study I checked out that you might find interesting, Keith. It was published in the National Library of Medicine. You can find it on pubmed.gov. It's a scientific paper, so the, the title is super sexy, right? Music tuned to 440 hertz versus 432 and the health effects, colon, a double-blind crossover pilot study. Here's what they did. They took 33 volunteers with no pre-existing conditions, no acute uh, and or chronic diseases, right? And they had them each do two sessions of music listening on different days. Both used the same music, movie soundtracks, but one day it was tuned to 440 and another day to 432. And this, these sessions were 20 minutes long. And what they found is the data suggests, quote, that 432 hertz tuned music can decrease heart rate more than 440 hertz tuned music. The study results suggest repeating the experiment with a larger sample pool and introducing randomized controlled trials covering more clinical parameters. So at least one study said there might be something nicer about 432, although you can see a lot of problems with that study too. Mm -hmm. And while we were talking, I just found a a site, uh, it was on the same article that we were referencing, the global news site. And it has two versions of the song, The Scientist by Coldplay. 
one of them at standard 440 and one of them at 432. If this is correct, then the difference between 440 and 432 is much more subtle. It's mm-hmm. more like what I was originally saying than what I backtracked on the second time. Because when you play them at the same time, it gives this nice, gentle phasing effect. And if you play them one after the other, one just sounds ever so slightly lower than the other. And it doesn't like change the whole tuning or the whole like feel of the thing. But if you play them at the same time, they're just barely different to the point where they still can coexist and just create this kind of warm phasing effect. And that's actually something that we do in music production a lot or in synthesis. If you have two synth tones playing at the same time, if you detune one of them slightly, you keep playing them at the same time. It just makes it sound fatter. It makes it sound more lush. And it almost has this, like, we call it a chorusing effect. Um, and it's something that's that's applied in music production a lot. So um, I really would recommend listeners check out this Global News article, The Great 440 Hertz Conspiracy and Why All Our Music is Wrong by Alan Cross. Because it's got some good, uh, it's got some good examples on there that we can't afford <laughs> to play on the podcast. Oh, I should, yeah, I should mention the authors of that study, uh, too. That's Deletta Calabasi and John Paolo Pomponi. Um, so what I was asking about that study is, what do you guys think about that? Like, do you feel, I mean, there are problems with it, but do you think that it's, there's something inherent to those tones that makes people have a lower heart rate? Or is it just something else that happened in the course of the study? It's the golden ratio. I would think oh. something else likely. Everything that I've seen tends to ca- categorize this as pseudoscience a little bit. Um, mm. But that's just no. Me. What? No. It's no? the golden ratio, Noel. I do love it's, that aspect of it. Uh, which which one is the, is four forty the golden ratio or is it four thirty two? Four thirty two. No, that's fascinating, and I do love that, and it does make me think like why why did we pick four forty if four thirty two is present in nature and it's like. You know, it was to throw off the balance, and only those in the know would use 432 <laughs> so they could create mm-hmm. the pyramids for Illuminati music. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's right. Matt. No, I, but I mean, this gosh, man, think about that. Imagine if the actual tones of music were being hidden from us, like Love it's it. just. It, you know what I mean? It's it's so tantalizing. It's like that. It's the thing you said before. It's just. Very good conspiracy, like grade A choice meat. Um, (laughs) That kind of concept. I, yeah, can't believe I was so often thinking that we've discussed this before, but I think it came back to the Schumann resonance. You guys remember that Mm -hmm. Uh, concept of the heartbeat of the earth? Yes. It was super low frequency thing Mm -hmm. that we apparently can detect because of thunderstorms, of all things. Mm -hmm. Um, Because they're sentient. Gotcha. <laughs> there we are. There it is. <laughs> um, but but some of the mathematics I think are the most fascinating to the mathematics of it are fascinating to me. Mm. The being able to divide these frequencies in specific ways that are going to get you back down to this thing that feels to be more natural. Mm. I think for the for the Earth's patterns. Yeah. So this is. I mean, Keith, you you set us on a journey here. Massively appreciate it, and also massively uh, appreciate Matt uh, for asking. You're us, welcome. Uh, <laughs> oh, that that one. Okay. Massively appreciate every Matt. Say hi to the Matts in your lives, and massive thanks to Dan uh, for leading us uh, through. These are these are rabbit holes. We're unraveling things that are still technically continuing uh, with without the uh, the instrument conspiracy. I guess if it's real, it's still continuing. But totally, 
Can, can I, I add one last tiny thing on the instrument stuff? Uh, only just a recommendation if listeners are interested. Um, there is something called microtonal music, which doesn't have the same like rigid like step adheration between notes. So there's a band that I love, and I think I've talked about it on the show, called King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard. Uh, and they have a record called Flying Microtonal Banana, where they essentially every song on it uses microtones, which just means that instead of a whole step or a half step, it's every possible micro step in between. And it can make you feel different. And it has sort of a Middle Eastern quality to it, because sitars, for example, have microtones, and a lot of uh, Eastern instruments use microtones. So this idea of like standing standardization and tuning to your point, Ben is very much a, a Western thing, but absolutely. That's, that was an absolute ball for me, that discussion. So thank you very much to uh, the listener that sent that in. But we have one more surprise. We promised it at the top. We want to deliver. Uh, you see folks, as we were heading in to record listener mail today, uh, we realized that we owe a huge shout out to the bakeologist on Instagram uh, the proprietor of Atlanta's own Bakeology Cookies and Cakes. I'm showing you guys the box. Uh, a few months or a few months or weeks ago, sorry, uh, sorry, Bakeologist, you had you had contacted me to ask if we had some sort of mailing address, and you know, we typically say, well, you can send stuff to our office, but never feel obligated. And so we got these cookies from the Bakeologists themselves that are absolute works of art. We were talking about this. I don't even want to eat any of these, but we got to figure out how to divvy these up, guys. So here's the first one. Can you oh see my it? God. It's, it's an Illuminati Christmas tree. Yeah, yeah it is. Like, oh. If you All didn't right. already use your imagination to put that together, it's a Christmas tree where the top is a, an eye, the, the all-seeing Illuminati eye. Mm-hmm. And then next we have this uh, We have this fantastic... Happy holidays, which appear. Oh, let me try to get the light here better. Okay, it, it appears to be some sort of chemtrail sprouting plane, which is <laughs> perfect in a nice sky blue. We've got, of course, the stuff they don't want you to know logo on this cookie. These are all these are all pretty amazing. And then I've got this UFO thing. I thought you guys nice. would like that. Like these are works of art. And then a QAnon, a very classy QAnon. This is the most classy thing to happen to QAnon ever. It's a Christmas cue, though. It's got it's like a candy yeah. striped uh, candy yeah, cane cue. Yeah. And then wow. we and then we got a um and then we got a Bigfoot cookie, which is just iconic. That's classic That's Bigfoot side profile. Uh, I I don't think any of us want to eat eat these. And we were talking off mic about how isn't there a thing you can do to like preserve a cookie and make it into a Christmas ornament? Matt, you chimed in. You seemed to think that the answer was yes. Yeah, sure. You cover anything with you know certain clear substances that are very hard. Well, you, you can you can preserve it enough. No ding on your baking skills in terms of the taste, but these are absolutely works of art, and I think we would all benefit from them much more as uh, as, as tree ornaments than. Uh, I'm going to eat at least two. Okay, fair. No, sorry. Right. Well, we are we are going to call it a day because we have to divvy up these cookies for posterity. But thank you so much to uh, the bakeologist. Thank you so much to everybody who takes time out of their day to check out the show, to write to us, uh, to share stories with fellow listeners. If you want to be part of the conversation, find us on Instagram, find us on Facebook, find us on Twitter. Love to recommend. Here's where it gets crazy. That's where you can continue the conversation after the episode ends. And we'll we'll pop in there occasionally. Mm -hmm. You might see us. Yeah, you can do that. You can also find 
uh, us as individuals, if you wish. I'm on Instagram at how now Noel Brown. I am Matt Matt Frederick underscore iHeart. Maybe that's the sure. one. If you want to, uh, if you want to see my hot takes on relatively irrelevant things, you can find me at Ben Bullen HSW on Twitter. Uh, if you want to write to me directly with questions, then uh, just give just shoot me a line on Instagram where I'm at Ben Bullen. Mm-hmm. Hey, if you want to contact us via phone like several other people did on this episode, please call 1-833-STDWYTK. Yeah. And we are happy to report that people continue to call, including this person. My name is Optimus Prime, leader of the Autobots from the planet Cybertron. Yes, we are here, and we're studying your culture to learn more about you. We've been listening to your podcast and we approve. Autobots, transform and roll out. See, this is the kind of disclosure that I'm talking about. Really appreciate it. Optimus Prime, how could you say no? Put that in the reviews. Leave us a review if you want uh, on Apple Podcasts. Every every little bit helps and we sure appreciate it. If none of that quite uh, primes your Optimus, then there's one way you can always... No, Matt's saying no. Well, <laughs> I say, no. I say We're hard going yes. With it. We're going with it. There's one way you can always contact us wherever you are, whatever time it is. That is our email address where we are. Conspiracy at iHeartRadio.com. Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. CNN Underscore's Guide to Sleep has tons of recommendations for products that can help you get the best night's sleep ever. All right, let's face it. Most of us have had trouble falling or staying asleep at some point. And there are a lot of products and hacks claiming to be the solution to our sleepless nights. That's why the CNN Underscore team spend hundreds of hours testing products to find the ones that can make a huge difference in the quality of your slumber. Visit Underscore.com now for our ultimate guide to getting better sleep. Billie Eilish and Phineas O'Connell, they're with us today on Crew Call. I'm your host, Anthony DeLisandro. Billie's vocals, it was automatic art. You know, I had to like choose a more challenging route than just like da-da-da-da. You know what I'm saying? Like it could have been like easier. And a lot of people have asked me like, how did you choose to have it be so soft and like so simple? And what else was it going to like? That's what the song wanted. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Crew Call podcast on Deadline. Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was so cool. 
I think you're so talented. Social media is only positive with Zigazoo, the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. In Zigazoo, all community members are verified kids just like yours. And all content is fully human moderated. Try out Zigazoo this spring break. Download the Zigazoo app today.